Will you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We're going to read from Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you so much. Thank you for the way that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. hard it is to, to pass a harp and not touch it. <clears throat> so, when I was a kid, homework wasn't my strong suit. Um, I tended to do all right on tests, so my grades worked out okay. Bottom line is, I was, I was just lazy. Which was fine up until I got into middle school. And that's when it started to catch up with me. I will never forget spring semester of my seventh grade year. I was informed of what my grades were, what they were going to be on my report card they were sending home with me. And for the first time in my life, I got a D. Not even like a good D, like, like borderline F D. Now, by that point in my life, I'd already heard the not living up to your potential speech a thousand times. For the most part, it went one ear and out the other. But I recognized that when I brought home that D, things were not going to go well for young David Hanna. So, easy solution. They were sending the report card home with me. All I had to do, straighten the trash. Problem solved, right? Now there's no D. And it worked for about a weekish. At which point my parents said, you know, David, I feel like it's about report card time. We, we haven't seen yours. Have you gotten it? Well, Dad, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know when the report cards come out this time around. So they call the school. The school says, well, I'm not exactly sure what happened. We'll mail you a copy. Well, it worked the first time, so I, I figured probably worked this time as well. Each day for the next several days, I rushed home from school, checked the mail before my parents got home. Lo and behold, a couple days later, there's the report card straight out of the box, straight into the trash. This plan is bulletproof. <laughs> You're not listening, right, Ruby Love? Um, my parents... God love them. Uh, Not morons. At some point they figured there may be something amiss. So they actually went to the school, talked to the principal, found out I had been given a physical copy of the report card, got themselves a physical copy of the report card. It did not take long for them to figure out what had happened. 
followed closely by some of my father's favorite words to me. Hannah, what were you thinking? And the reality was I really wasn't thinking. At least I wasn't thinking clearly. My, my mind had been, been clouded by this kind of contorted thought of what was going to happen to me when my parents found out about my grades, specifically when my parents heard that my grades were because I hadn't done my homework. I couldn't see what was good because I was clouded by what was easy in the moment. And then those thoughts in my head influenced my actions, thoughts, equal actions. Thoughts also equal emotions. We've all been in that moment. You're in your cubicle at work. You see a couple of the managers in the big boss's office. They're having a meeting. It looks a little sketchy. Door opens up. The managers quickly and silently go right past your desk. And then you hear some of the most dreaded words in the English language. Can I see you in my office? Our thoughts about what was happening in that meeting, our thoughts about those words results in overwhelming visceral emotions of fear, anxiety, doubt. Thoughts lead to actions. Thoughts lead to emotions. Now, we here at the church at Lachlan Springs, we are on a mission. We are on a mission to engage the whole person with the whole gospel anywhere, anytime, with anybody. Here in the month of October, we've taken a few weeks to look at that mission, unpack that mission, what it means in practical application, what it looks like as we engage that mission in the future. And we've used the passage that Anita read for us this morning, Jesus' words in Matthew 22, Jesus' words about the two great commandments as a framework. Because we understand when we love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our minds, when we truly love our neighbors as ourselves, it's impossible to engage part of the person with part of the gospel. Some places, at some times, and with some People. Loving the Lord our God with all of our hearts and with all of our souls forces us to put Him in front of and around everything else in our lives. But we are also called to love Him with all of our minds. What goes into our minds? What comes out of our minds? In fact, just the simple use of our minds to begin with. You see, for quite some time, there's been a pretty prevalent movement of anti-intellectualism within the evangelical church. In fact, uh, the great Christian historian Mark Knoll back in 1995 wrote a book called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. He begins that book with this sentence. 
The scandal of the evangelical mind is that there isn't much of an evangelical mind. I mean, it's like a punch right to the gut. There isn't much of an evangelical mind. See, what he was speaking of, this movement of anti-intellectualism, it comes from this idea that too much focus on obtaining knowledge cuts against blind faith. And isn't that what it's supposed to all be about? Closing our eyes and stepping into the darkness. Isn't that what following Jesus looks like? You know, to, to live by faith means to leave our brains in the parking lot of the church building on Sunday morning. We don't want to think, we want to feel. We want to spend our lives feeling God, experiencing Him. We don't, we don't want to, to think about it. Now, hear me say this. We here at the church at Lachlan Springs elevate, celebrate, and pursue feeling God's presence, authentically experiencing a deep and intimate relationship with our Creator. We recognize that and we pursue that, but at the same time, we also recognize that Feeling our way through life, feeling our way through our faith journey is incredibly dangerous. It's dangerous because we can become addicted to that moment, that emotion, that feeling. We sing the perfect praise and worship song and our hands are in the air and there's just that sense God is here with me and we love that so much. We're in a revival or a retreat and, and everything is wonderful and, and we can truly feel feel, sense the presence of God, and we love that thing. But the reality is, we then go through our, quote, normal lives, and most days we don't feel anything at all. So what that does is it puts us in this cycle of God is in that place when I'm singing that song. He's not over here when I'm in my cubicle watching these two managers have a meeting with the big boss. Because I don't feel it. I feel it there. I don't feel it here. And it truly begins to contort our thinking of what it means to be in the presence of God. Now, there are some other reasons that many of us uh, don't spend time In the word, don't spend time engaging our mind. Sometimes it's self-doubt. I don't want to spend too much time with this because I I don't really understand it. It's confusing to me. I'm just going to get it wrong. So I'm just going to show up on a Sunday morning and let the professionals do it. Or there's a sense of fear. I've heard what people say. People tell me that that there are contradictions in here. People tell me that there's some really confusing and dark and scary stuff in here, and I don't want to dive too deep into it because I'm terrified of what I might find. Some of us just go the 12-year-old David Hanna route, and we're just lazy. Just don't want to spend the time and effort and energy in engaging the Word of God. 
Now, the flip side of this anti-intellectualism is a pursuit of obtaining knowledge so desperate and voracious it can borderline on idolatry. There are groups of people that spend their entire lives with their noses in books, elevating that knowledge above their relationship with their creator. That is, by definition, idolatry. One of my dearest friends, probably the biggest argument we ever got into, was when I began to approach him about how much time he was spending in this makeshift office he has made in his basement, surrounded by books, surrounded by commentaries, surrounded by systematic theology. Trying to help him see how, how that might become an idol. Because see, what some of us do is we think that if I can just obtain all of the knowledge, if I can just know enough, then... I can answer all the questions of the world. All the arguments they throw at me, I've got a response to. As a matter of fact, I will be able to present the gospel so eloquently, so articulately, with such beauty and perfection, an airtight argument, that I will end up debating my friend into heaven. Let me first tell you that is not the way salvation works. Secondly, I want us to recognize that when we do that, we remove the wonder of an omniscient, all-knowing God from the equation. The bottom line is, God does not need us to defend him. But he does want us to know him. It is through the engagement of our God-given, God-created minds that we do that. If, we are gonna, if we're going to unpack the idea of loving God with all of our minds, the first thing we need to do is set a baseline. What does the Scripture tell us about the human mind, specifically the human mind without God? First of all, it tells us that the mind is futile. That's Romans one twenty one. It tells us that the mind is debased, Romans 1.28. It tells us that the mind is deluded, Colossians 3. It tells us that the mind is darkened, Ephesians 4. Futile, debased, deluded, darkened. That's the picture of the human mind without God. Now, all of those verses are found in letters written by the Apostle Paul. In his letter to the church at Rome, Paul also tells us what the mind with God looks like. In Romans chapter 12, first couple of verses, in, in, in that 12th chapter, Paul kind of begins the practical application section of his incredibly rich theological work that we know as the letter to the church at Rome, Romans 12.1. God, through Paul, says this, therefore, now, now when Paul writes therefore, he's saying 
those first 11 chapters that I wrote to you, that is the whole gospel. Because of the gospel, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Romans 12.1, it's one of the top ten most googled verses in North America. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. Your, your whole life, everything you do, present it as a sacrifice to God. This is true worship. Worship is the act of ascribing value and worth and glory to God. What Paul says as he begins his practical application section, this is the gospel. Now, this is what it looks like to follow it. What he says is, Everything you do, everything you say, is worship. Worship is Sunday morning, singing, praying, learning together. Worship is also the way you lead your families. Worship is also your jobs. Worship is also the way you play. Worship is also your relationships. Now, hear what I said there. I did not say you have an opportunity to worship at your job. I said your job is worship. The way you work, the way you lead your families, your relationships, your recreation, they are all acts of ascribing value and worth and glory to your creator. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. This is true worship. Paul goes on in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age. Some of you may have versions that say don't be conformed to this world. This age, the world, what what Paul's referring to is the, the thoughts and thought processes of the culture in which you are living. Don't be conformed to the thoughts and thought processes of the world around you. Now that that word conformed, that word is negative, passive, imperative. It's a a command, it's imperative, don't do this, but it's passive. What he is saying is don't sit back and passively allow the world around you to tell you what to think or believe. But instead, be transformed. Now, that word transformed, it's the exact word in the New Testament that is also translated transfigured. Matthew chapter 17, we see the story of Jesus being transfigured. Those first two verses in Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. 
He was transfigured or transformed, the exact same word. He was transfigured in front of them. And his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as the light. What if that could happen to our minds? Shining like the sun, white as the light, completely transfigured, transformed. Modern science tells us about neuroplasticity, which is the idea that our minds can be completely rewired. Study after study shows us what what, uh, smartphones and modern technology is doing to rewire our minds. What if we could rewire it the other way, completely transformed? How does that happen? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Also an imperative, also a command, but this one is active and it's continual. It could be translated, don't don't be conformed to the thought processes of the world, but be transformed, transfigured by the continual active renewing of your mind. Now, God, through Paul, could have written, be transformed by the continual, active renewing of your emotions. Wherever you were in that place that that you felt it, you couldn't help but raise your hands. Continually go back to that place so that you can be transformed. He did not write that. God, through Paul, could have written, Be transformed, be transfigured by the continual active renewing of your actions. Do really good things. Go out and serve. Be transformed by that. He does not. He writes, be transformed. Be made new. In your mind, in your thought process, the continual renewing of your mind because your thoughts are what leads your emotions and what leads your actions. So that's all well and good. But what does that look like? What does it look like to be continually renewing our minds? There are two incredibly simple areas of focus where we can make this happen. The practical application of following Christ in our lives. The first we hold in our hands this morning. The continual renewing of our minds through the study, reading, learning, and application of Scripture. Paul, in his letter to his protege, Timothy, writes what what is the most famous passage, the most famous verses about Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is inspired by God, is profitable for teaching, rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. All Scripture is inspired by God, Not, not inspired like a work of art would be inspired. That word inspired, literally translated to all scripture is breathed out by God. 
We hold in our hands this morning the very breath of the creator of the universe. I have asked this question before. I will ask it again. Do we stand half in awe of that as we should be? We can read the mind of God revealed in this book. We have access to knowledge that is unshakably true, that is infinitely valuable. Do we treasure these words? Do we love it? Do we read it? Do we meditate on it? Do we study it in accord with its infinite worth? Are we embarrassed when we see it on our bookshelves collecting dust? We here at the church at Lachlan Springs have absolute confidence in the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean that we've got the whole thing memorized. That doesn't mean we have the perfect answer to every single question. It doesn't mean sometimes we don't have questions ourselves. What it does mean is that we believe this to be the holy, infallible, all-sufficient word of the creator of the universe. When we read this book, when we study this book, it changes us. These words, as Paul tells Timothy, are good for teaching, reproof. That's not going to play so well on the podcast. (laughs) Rebuking, training, continual, constant renewing of our minds. This is... This is our fixed point, like a ballerina spinning on the stage, finding that fixed point in the back of the room so that she doesn't get dizzy and lose her way. That's what this is. All scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, for training in righteousness. Verse 17 so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The constant renewing of our minds through studying Scripture so that we may be complete, whole, full, and equipped to act. Thoughts leading to action. So often we study this book as though we are studying for a test. Hopefully it is multiple choice. Rarely do we study this book so that it might lead to action. This is not theory. This is truth. This is lecture lab. Read it. Learn it. Immerse yourself in it and do it.
renewing our minds, loving God with our minds through the study of his God-breathed words, his inspired words, his all-sufficient words. The second way we continually, constantly renew our minds is through prayer. That is personal, intimate communication with God. I want you to think about that for, the, for a moment. A, we hold in our hands the very breath of the creator of the universe. B, every single person in this room has the opportunity and ability to personally, intimately communicate with the creator of the universe. Think about that. You can talk to God. Now, we get it backwards and confused sometimes because we think prayer is some sort of magic spell that if we say the words in in just the right order with just the right inflection, we can make happen whatever we want to happen. We can make the world look like we think it should Or we think prayer to be similar to a grocery list where we just let God know all the stuff we need from the store of all of his resources. Sometimes we get it confused because many people in our positions, many people that have sat in pews just like these have used the word prayer as an excuse to do nothing. We see tragedy in our relationships, in our communities, or in our world. Praying hands on social media, hashtag thoughts and prayers. What we are really saying is, I feel very bad for you. I hope everything works out. That is not prayer. Prayer is intimate, personal communication with our Creator. It is a two-way street where we come to him and where we listen to him. When we pray, it brings us into a deeper and more intimate fellowship with God. When we crawl up into his lap and communicate with him as our loving father, It enlightens and illuminates our study of his word. It changes the very rhythms of our lives. It brings us in line with his will as we are constantly renewing our minds. What does Paul say in Romans 12 two? Renew your minds so that you may discern the good and perfect will of God. It reminds us of our identity. Each one of us, image bearers of the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God of the universe. 
And when we recognize that identity, when we, when we recognize our ability to communicate with our Heavenly Father, it begins to control those emotions. It begins to give us perspectives so desperately needed. It renews our minds. Through Scripture, through prayer, we are reminded of and grounded in truth. Not just the truth, truth itself. And when, when I know truth, it clarifies my thoughts. How many of us in this room are afraid of snakes? The only good snake is a? (laughs) Y'all are awful. Now, the truth is, every single one of us is nine times more likely to be struck by lightning than we are to be bit by a snake. Further truth is, it is virtually impossible because of modern medicine to live in North America and die from a snake bite. It will never happen. A third truth is, those of us that aren't a big fan of rats and mice that are eating through insulation, yeah, snakes, they take care of those things. When I recognize those truths, it clarifies my thought. I'm no longer ruled by emotions. I'm no longer ruled by fear. It doesn't mean I'm incredibly comfortable. It does mean my actions are controlled by truth. Through scripture, through prayer, we are reminded of and grounded in truth. We at the church at Lachlan Springs, it is my desperate desire that we are a congregation that is thoughtful, constantly renewing our minds so that we might be fully aware of God's presence in our lives, in our communities, and so that we may be fully aware of others in our lives, so that we may engage Him, His creation, His people, those created in His image, with our hearts, with our souls, and with our minds. Many of us in this room, at one point or another, have professed to giving our hearts to Jesus. Let me ask you, have you given Him your mind? Engaging the whole person with the whole gospel, anywhere, anytime, with anybody. 37206, 37216. All of Middle Tennessee, Athens, Greece. This is what it looks like. As we go into the next year, We will 
as a congregation. Love God with our hearts, with our souls, with our minds. We will love our neighbors as ourselves. We will be that neighbor as Jesus described in his parable of the Good Samaritan. We will do it through focus on his word. Focus on the scriptures. The book of Psalms, and let me tell you, if you read a psalm every single day, it will change your life. The book of Psalms begins with these words, Psalm 1, 1 and 2. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction in God's word, and he meditates on it day and night. That word meditates. In the Old Testament, it does not mean emptying your mind, emptying your thoughts. It could be literally translated and is translated in other parts of the Old Testament as devours. Instead, his delight is in devouring the word of God day and night. We will do that here. We will do that in this room on Sunday mornings. We will do that in small groups. We will devour the word of God. We will also commit ourselves, renew our efforts to prayer. Organized, focused, corporate prayer together. Prayer groups that will be forming over the next year. We're already seeing it happen as as the Holy Spirit is moving people in this room to prayer. These prayer groups will meet regularly. They will not be led by me. They will be led by you. The scripture and the prayer will be the foundation of action in our congregation. James 1.27 tells us that true religion is taking care of the widows and the orphans. We will be that. We will do that through local partners, through international partners, through ministries where we are already working in our community, we will reflect the glory of God into his people. We will speak of his gospel into our relationships in conversations because we can't help ourselves. We will love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And we will love his people, all of them, all the way. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you this morning and ask you, Don't give us a break. Don't let us give you part of ourselves. Don't let us 
engage part of the person you have put in front of us. Don't let us engage part of the gospel. We are grateful, grateful beyond words for the sacrifice of your son that gives us freedom. Grateful that his sacrifice did not end on the cross, but three days later there was an empty tomb so that today we may know and be known by love and be loved by a living Savior. And it is his name that we pray. Amen.